The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive with Dr. Rebecca Risk. Do you ever feel that even though nothing seems seriously wrong and you pass all the medical tests, that you still feel that your health, pain, and fatigue are completely out of control? It doesn't have to be that way. Listen to the tips and suggestions given on our program today and take back control of your health. Now, here is Dr. Rebecca Risk. During the course of treating thousands of patients, it became clear to Dr. Jason Fung that the epidemic of type 2 diabetes and obesity was getting worse. He is the author of the book, The Obesity Code, and today we're discussing his book, The Complete Guide to Fasting. Welcome to the show, Dr. Fung. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Uh, What made you decide to focus on obesity and diabetes? Um, Well, I'm a kidney specialist, and the most important cause of kidney disease by far really is type 2 diabetes. So when you look at treating type 2 diabetes, really you have to take care of the obesity part of the equation because that's really the most important part. So if you don't treat it, then everything else downstream doesn't really get uh, improved. So you can give medications, but if you're not taking care of the real problem, which is the weight problem, then the diabetes just continues to get worse. If the diabetes gets worse, then the kidney disease gets worse. So you really have to trace it back from kidney disease all the way back to um, the, the type 2 diabetes, back to the obesity, and that's really where you have to treat it. The thing about obesity is that we focus on, I think, the wrong issues, which is calories. We've been kind of brainwashed into believing that calories... Too many calories is what causes obesity, and therefore you just need to cut some calories and you'll lose weight. The trouble with that kind of thinking is that we've all done it, and it doesn't work. So if that doesn't work and you don't get the obesity problem solved, then you can't solve the problems down down the line. Well, you know, in your book you talk about, um, you know, that you had very little training and diet. So what made you focus on this? I mean, it seems like this is the major part of your treatment for obesity and diabetes. So what made this become a forefront for you? Well, it's really because um, medical training, the kind of conventional medical training through medical school and residency, uh, really does not focus on it at all. And I think that the standard teaching has us kind of in a sort of 19th century medicine mode. What I mean is that if you look back at the diseases of the 19th and early 20th century, what you're dealing with there are a lot of diseases where there's kind of uh, infectious disease or there's a problem and you take a medication and things get better. The problem as we go into the 21st century is that all our diseases are not that. They're not acute diseases. They're not strep throat or some kind of bad flesh-eating bug or something like that. Those still exist, but the major problems are chronic diseases. 
And we haven't really been taught our mindset and medicine is really kind of, here's the disease, here's the pill to prescribe. And we're kind of stuck in that mode. The problem is that a lot of the diseases that we deal with now, obesity, type 2 diabetes, which leads to heart attacks and strokes and cancer and kidney disease and blindness and amputations, they're all linked to type 2 diabetes and uh, obesity, which are really dietary diseases. So what we're doing is we're using drugs to treat a dietary disease and then wondering why our treatments are so ineffective, which is stunning because you look at the rise in the epidemic of obesity and type 2 diabetes, and you have to wonder, wow, you know, we're so smart, like humankind, we're so smart, we can put people on the moon, you know, we have these, you know, great uh, computer technology and so on. If you look at computer technology now compared to 1960, well, it's so much more advanced. We have much more genetic tools. But why is it that we simply have not been able to make a dent, right? We've used all our human ingenuity, looked at this problem of obesity, declared that it's all about calories, and nothing we do makes a difference. Because our paradigm, our whole premise of understanding the disease is completely wrong. We assume it's all about calories, which is incorrect. And we assume that the disease of type 2 diabetes falls into this kind of mode of here's the disease, here's the pill that you need to give to treat it. That's not the case. The disease is a dietary one, so you need to go back and you need to correct the diet in order for that disease to get better. So because we're stuck in this kind of old mode of thinking, we've let this huge epidemic run uh, kind of underneath our feet while we've kind of let it go. So you're talking about um, obesity isn't being caused by calories, and I think that there's probably some people listening wondering what you're talking about. So what do you mean that the calories aren't an issue, and what do you believe is actually causing the obesity? Well, here's the thing, right? So calories is simply a measure of energy, right? And everybody thinks that, oh, calories are calories, right? That's what we get taught. Calories are calories, but that's not the question. Are all calories equally fattening? That's the real question, right? Because if you take a calorie, 100 calories, say, of a food, your body can do different things with it. Your body can store it as fat, or your body can burn it for energy and generate body heat. That's two very different things. The calorie is the same, but as soon as you put those calories into your mouth, depending on what it is, the instructions to, to your body as to what to do with it are completely different. So, for example, if you have a 1,000 calories that you eat at dinner and it's, you eat a plate of cookies every day for dinner versus you eat a 1,000 calories composed of kale salad with grilled salmon and olive oil, they're two different things, but they're the same number of calories. Common sense tells you that there's nothing the same about those two. Okay, the plate of cookies, if you eat a plate of cookies every day for dinner, you're going to get fat. If you eat that salmon salad every day for dinner, you're probably going to get thin. So it's not about the calories. There's nothing to do with it, right? The minute you put your, the, the, the cookies into your mouth, the body responds with hormones and eventually tells your body to gain fat. When you eat the salmon, the instructions go into your body not to gain fat and maybe use it for other things, building up protein, building up bone, burning it as body heat, giving you more energy to maybe want to go out and run around. 
And that's the thing, is that there's nothing the same. Those calories are not equally fattening. And we've pretended for so long that calories are all the same. And I think it's because there's a lot of vested interest in trying to convince us that all calories are the same. Therefore, you can eat cookies every day for dinner. It's simply not true. The problem of obesity is not a problem of calories. It's the problem of our body is storing fat when we actually want it to burn off that energy, right? So instead of storing body fat, we want it to burn so that we have more energy to go out and run, to generate body heat, to keep our brain functioning at a high level. So it's really a distribution of energy uh, problem, not a total calorie problem, right? And that's the important thing to understand. So then you have to say, well, what, what hormone is it that tells us what to do with our energy, to store it as fat or to burn it? Well, insulin plays the main role. There are other ones, of course. Cortisol is also a major player, but insulin is the main one. So as long as you understand that, it's, that obesity is, in essence, a hormonal imbalance, not a caloric imbalance, then you can focus on the key issue, which is how do I correct that hormonal imbalance? So, um, you know, we're going to get to that a little bit later, but I know when we're talking about diabetes, um, I, there, there's type 1 and type 2 diabetes, and, and I know you're in, in this conversation talking about type 2 diabetes, but can you just tell us the difference between the two so that people can understand? Yeah, so insulin is a hormone that regulates the blood sugar. It essentially lets the blood glucose into the cells, Type 1 diabetes, so all of di- all of both type 1 and type 2 are characterized by high blood sugars. The reason in type 1 is that they have very low insulin levels. Because the insulin levels are very low, the, the glucose can't get from the blood into the cells, so it stays very high. Inside, the cells are starving, but outside, there's too much glucose. That's not the case in type 2 diabetes. In type 2 diabetes, you have something called insulin resistance where the cell simply, there is insulin, but the cell, for whatever reason, does not let the the glucose inside. So the blood glucose stays high. So diabetes just refers to the high blood glucose. Type 1 is lack of insulin. Type 2 is insulin resistance with actually high insulin, not low insulin. So that's the difference. Most people, that is about 95% of people, have type 2 diabetes, and that's the one, both types are actually going up, but type 2 diabetes is the one that's really going up a lot. It's the one that's seen in older adults. It's the one seen in people who are generally overweight, although people with normal weight can also have type 2 diabetes. Uh, type 1 is the one that is classically thought of as presenting in childhood, usually very, very skinny. So that's the difference between the two. Okay, and so the um, the treatment for type two diabetes, because that's that is what we're talking about today. Um, how effective yeah. do you think that is? Well, right now, I think our current treatment for type two diabetes is almost entirely incorrect. What we do is we give people medication to bring down that blood glucose, but we actually don't do anything for the problem. So the problem is not the high blood glucose; that's just the symptom. The problem is all the insulin resistance. 
So because we have insulin resistance, high blood, there's high blood glucose, but we treat what we see, not the actual problem. So the, because of the insulin resistance, we don't treat it. It continues to get worse. And the thing is that a lot of our treatments actually make people continue to gain weight. And if the problem is that they weigh too much already and they're gaining weight because of the treatments we give them, it's not likely that that diabetes is going to get better. In fact, it's going to get worse. So that's exactly what we see. So over a period of 10 years or so, people will typically go from one medication to two to three to insulin to more insulin to more insulin. So all that time, their diabetes has never gotten better. It's only gotten worse. And they tell you that it's because that's the way the diabetes is. It just gets worse. It's like age, right? You only can get older. That's actually not true at all. Type 2 diabetes is actually completely reversible. And we've proved it over and over again. In fact, in our hearts, we already know that type 2 diabetes is a reversible disease. Because you can find stories all over the place, anywhere. If somebody loses 50 pounds, very often the diabetes will go away. They'll take themselves off their medications, the diabetes will go away, the blood sugar is normalized. So we know that weight loss, in many cases, will reverse that type 2 diabetes. So it wasn't that it's a chronic and progressive disease. It's that we focused on the wrong thing. We saw the high blood glucose, and this is what I was talking about, that kind of old mentality. High blood glucose, let me give you this pill. But that's not the problem. The problem is the obesity. Take care of the obesity and the type 2 diabetes will get better, right? So you go to your doctor, and instead of your doctor saying, okay, we need to really seriously make you lose weight, what they do is give you a pill instead. Well, because they never took care of the root cause, which is the obesity, you will never get better, right? And the reason that they, they don't take care of the obesity is because, again, they have this kind of flawed understanding of what causes obesity. So they've done it so many times. They've told people to cut their portions and exercise more. Nobody loses weight. Well, guess what? Everybody's done it. Nobody loses weight on these sort of diets. So you have, so they've done it so often, they've given up on trying to get people to lose weight. So they just give a pill. But you can, right? Once you fix the, the obesity problem, the type 2 diabetes goes away. So that's what we do instead. When we see people with type 2 diabetes, we say, well, first, you don't need medication, right? That's only going to band-aid the solution. What you need to do is lose weight. And this is how you do it. You need to... Lower your insulin. In most cases, it's an insulin problem. If insulin is too high, we need to bring it down. The ways to bring it down are low-carbohydrate diets and intermittent fasting. So that's what we do. Okay, we're going to um, talk about that when we get back. We're going to take a quick break. Today, we're talking to Dr. Jason Fung. He's the author of The Obesity Code. And today, we're discussing his book, The Complete Guide to Fasting. So we'll be back shortly. Tune in. Your life, your health, your network. Voice America Health & Wellness. Are you finding your frequency? 
It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1 866 472 5792. Again, that's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Welcome back. Today we're talking with Dr. Jason Fung. He's the author of The Obesity Code, and today we're discussing his book, The Complete Guide to Fasting. So, Dr. Fung, before the break, um, you said that normal weight loss doesn't work. Um, So what do you recommend so that people, especially um, with this insulin resistance, which is very common um, and difficult to lose weight with that, what do you recommend that they do? Well, once you understand that the problem with obesity is too much insulin. Insulin resistance actually plays a key role because insulin resistance, if you have it, will keep your insulin levels very high, which will keep you from losing weight. So the question is what you can do to lower those insulin levels. So in terms of the foods, there's actually two key components to weight loss. And everybody always uh, kind of ignores one. So it comes down to two things, basically what you eat and when you eat because you can't ignore the question of frequency, right? So the question of what to eat is, we more or less agree on that. So a lot of people, for example, understand that while eating a lot of white bread and white rice and sugar is not really all that good for you and tends to be very fattening. So, of course, you need to cut those down. So those are the highly refined carbohydrates and the sugars. So if you follow a relatively low-carbohydrate diet and try to avoid processed foods, most people will agree on that. Yes, there's different uh, variations, but for the most people, for, for the most part, people 
understand mostly the same things. We've kind of gotten uh, away a lot of this from this kind of low-fat hysteria, which kind of followed from the calorie kind of misunderstanding. So if you remember, everything was about calories, right, back in the 80s, right, when that was the old thinking. So therefore, fat was very high in calories, therefore you shouldn't eat it, right? And so everything was low-fat, low-fat, low-fat. Then we realized that there's a lot of healthy foods that are high in fat, so olive oil, avocados, nuts, the whole Mediterranean diet, really. So uh, there's just everything was just swimming in olive oil, right? And everybody said, "Wow, how can it be?" So they got called healthy fats. And the thing about it is that that term kind of didn't exist 20 years ago. All fat was bad. Now we realize that there's a lot of fat that is actually very good because it's not about the calories. It's about the fact that these are unprocessed foods and they're not high in carbohydrates. Carbohydrates, refined carbohydrates like bread and sugar will stimulate insulin the most and therefore are much more fattening calorie for calorie. That's why if you eat grilled salmon with olive oil compared to brownies, the brownies are much more fattening because they stimulate insulin much more. So that's one key is to go to a low-carb, high-fat diet. But not like all fats are the same either, right? You trying to want to stick to the healthy fats, the kind of non-processed fats. The other thing is the when to eat. And this is another thing I think that we've really gotten incorrect is that if you eat, almost all foods will stimulate insulin. Insulin tells our body, okay, so we're eating, therefore we want to store food energy, right? We don't want to burn uh, stored energy, right? Because that's what body fat is. It's stored food energy. So it tells us we need to store it. So if you eat six times a day, you're going to tell your body to store fat, store fat, store fat. So if you, the minute you roll out of bed, you start telling your body to store fat. And all through that day, you keep telling your body to store fat. What's going to happen? Well, you're going to gain weight because you just told your body to do so. So the key is not to eat all the time. And if you look at studies from 1977... The average number of meals per day in America was three. By 2005, it's gone up to close to six. Okay, so back in the 50s, they were eating white bread and Oreos, right? But they're eating breakfast, lunch, dinner, no snacks. Now we go breakfast, snack, lunch, snack, dinner, snack. So the thing is that we've never allowed our body the time where we're not eating, where we can actually pull some energy out instead of storing it, right? Right now, we keep eating all the time. We tell our bodies to store this food energy, and we never are able to go the other way and pull it out. Well, that's what fasting does. It gives your body a chance to use the energy that you've stored. And guess what? There's nothing wrong with it. It's actually part of natural human evolution. The very term itself, breakfast, means you break your fast which means you have to be fasting in order to break it. It's a part of every single day. You need to balance those feeding periods and those fasting periods if you're going to lose weight. And that's the thing. We've completely lost that balance. Instead of being kind of 10 hours feeding, 14 hours fasting, so in the 50s again, if you imagine that you ate breakfast at 8 and ate dinner at 6, that's about 10 hours of eating, 14 hours of fasting. During those 10 hours of eating, 
you're storing energy during those 14 hours, you're pulling that stored energy out. Great, perfect balance. Now we go, the minute we wake up in the morning at 7, somebody says, oh, you got to put some bagels in your mouth or something. You keep eating throughout the whole day until you go to bed. Well, now you've got like 16, 18 hours of feeding and 6 hours of fasting, right? That's it. The only time you're not eating is when you're sleeping. All that time, you're in an insulin-dominant mode telling your body to store food energy. And guess what? That's what it does. So over the years, you just gain weight. So we have to kind of move it back. Now, if you want to actually lose weight, you can extend those fasting periods instead of being 14, 12, 14 hours. You can extend it longer. You can extend it to kind of 18 hours, 20 hours, 24 hours, whatever you want, right? And that's the idea. There's two things, the what to eat and when to eat. And the reason that a lot of diets fail is that they completely ignore this question of when to eat and they just concentrate on what to eat. And that's only 50% of the battle. So when when we're looking at, at the fasting aspect, I know you said you can extend it, but um, you know your book goes into more detail. So um, what does fasting actually mean? Fasting, there's lots of different variations. So there's classic water-only fasting, which means that you won't eat, you'll just drink water. So... And there's also fat fasting, which is where you only eat fat. And what this refers to is the kind of recent phenomenon of bulletproof coffee, which is coffee with a lot of butter in it, which is almost pure fat. So what you're getting is a lot of calories, but not a lot of insulin effect because the fat has very little insulin effect. Because lowering insulin is the key to losing weight, you can do very well. So that is a way that some people have, have kind of hacked themselves so that they're getting the calories, that they're making it easier for them to fast without getting the insulin effect, which is what's bad about it. So it works very well for some people. Some people use bone broth for longer fast. Some people use tea with a bit of cream. Some people even allow up to 500 calories a day on that fasting day. So even eating a little bit of calories, it will still work. So there's all different variations from zero calories up to even 500 calories on that fasting day, and they still work very well. So there's all different variations, and there's all different timelines. So the most um, common ones would be, for example, a 18-hour fast daily or six days a week kind of thing. 18 hours means that you, uh, sorry, 16 hours mean you eat in eight-hour sort of window. So if you say from 11 a.m. till 7 p.m., you eat, but outside of those periods, for the rest of the 16 hours, you don't eat anything, so just water. And that's the time that you're going to allow your body to kind of pull the energy back out from what you ate that day, those eight hours. And that's something that people will do most days. When you extend it to 20 or 24 hours, 24 hours, for example, you'll go from lunch to lunch or dinner to dinner. So you'll eat lunch, then you'll skip dinner and breakfast, then you'll eat lunch again. That's 24 hours. And again, some people might do that perhaps two, three times a week. And then you can go to 36 hours, which is skipping the full day. And then you can even go up from there. Most people um, stick to the intermittent fast, but you can do long fasts as well. You can go five days, seven days, 14 days. We rarely go above that, although some people like the challenge of going longer. Um, and we do that in our clinics, but they're specially monitored and 
we monitor people. But even then, we rarely go above 7 to 14 days. So how is this fasting helping diabetics? Um, They do extremely well. Uh, We take them off their medications. So diabetics, for example, cannot change their diet without seeing their physician because any change in diet, not just the fasting, will affect their blood sugars. The medication that they are prescribed are prescribed on what our expectation of their blood sugar is. So if we expect those blood sugars to come down with our diet, we have to reduce the medication in advance. So I do that for people. But that's something people have to be uh, aware of and um, make sure their physician is on board with that. But people do very well because if you don't eat, your blood sugars come down. If your blood sugars come down, then you don't need to take your insulin. So we will reduce their insulin. And as they lose weight, their diabetes gradually gets better, which means that we can gradually cut them off off their medications. So as, uh, But again, you have to do that in a safe manner. Monitoring is important, making sure you feel well, making sure you get the blood work and the supervision that is necessary. So aside from um, lowering the insulin, what other benefits does fasting have? Well, there's really a lot of benefits. And this is the thing that people generally misunderstand about fasting. They think it's something really, really bad for you. But in fact, it seems to have a tremendous number of benefits. So weight loss and type 2 diabetes are the most obvious. Um, But uh, people have noticed, for example, that they have a lot more mental clarity. Some people find that they actually have a lot more energy. Um, Some people find that um, their uh, concentration, their memory goes up. So there's a lot of different things. In fact, if you look back at the history of fasting, there's um, the ancient Greeks, for example, fasted not because they needed to lose weight. There was not much obesity back then. But they did it because they understood that it increased their mental capacity. Um, the If you think about it, if you have a big Thanksgiving meal, it's not like you, your brain feels super active, right? You feel kind of sluggish, actually. All you want to do is sit down on the sofa and watch football because all that, all that blood has to go into digestion, right? There's nothing left. If you don't need all that blood for digestion, then, hey, maybe your brain can work a bit better. So the thing is that there are so many other things. People talk about it in terms of prevention of cancer. People talk about it in terms of Alzheimer's disease. So there's all kinds of theoretical benefits. There are a lot of people who worry about it in terms of um, there's a lot of myths out there. One is, for example, um, it's going to lead to muscle loss. That's a common one. It's going to lead to starvation mode. It's going to lead to anorexia. So there's all kinds of myths out there, and these studies have been done in terms of muscle loss. Um, There is a period where your body does break down protein in order to provide glucose, but what people don't understand is that when you eat again, you rebuild that protein. So when you look at studies of fasting, you actually don't see the same muscle breakdown or lean mass uh, loss that you see with, say, calorie reduction. So caloric reduction, which is cut a few calories every day, which doesn't really work, has actually much more effect to losing your lean mass, like your muscle and so on. So it's much worse So because people are ignoring the fact that your body will rebuild that. 
Uh, starvation mode is the idea that your body will slowly shut down. And again, what's ironic is that if you just do the portion control where you cut a few calories a day, your body will slow down. But when you go to zero calories, your body doesn't because, one, it can't go to zero calories. And what you're doing is actually you're forcing your body not to slow down its metabolism because what it does is it shifts. It shifts from burning food to stored food. So then your body's like, oh, hey, here's lots of body fat for you. Go burn it. So then it's like, hey, great. So it continues to burn just the same. So if you look at studies of fasting over four days, for example, at the end of the fourth day, the resting metabolic rate or the basal metabolic rate is actually higher than it was at the beginning. Your metabolism does not go down. It goes up during fasting. And that's a huge, huge, huge advantage in weight loss. You cannot underestimate that because if you just try and cut your calories, your body will slow, slow down how many calories it burns because your body's not really stupid, right? If you're only taking 1,500 calories, say you originally took 2,000 calories, you burned 2,000. Now you go to 1,500. Your body almost immediately reduces your, your calorie expenditure to 1,500 because it doesn't want to run a deficit. But if you go to zero calories in, your body simply switches fuel sources and said, oh, you're burning 2,000 calories. I'm going to give you 2,000 calories of body fat. So it's almost as if your body is eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner of body fat. That's why the metabolic rate doesn't go down because it's being fed. So this is the thing. So the things that people are most worried about, ironically, are actually much better with fasting than with simple calorie restriction. The other thing that people talk about, oh, it's going to cause anorexia. Um, it's, it's, it's a little silly because, first of all, Anorexia is a psychiatric disease of body image. So if you have a 15-year-old girl who is borderline anorexic, then no, you should not be fasting, okay? That's like common sense. But if you have a 65-year-old man who weighs 300 pounds with type 2 diabetes, anorexia is not really what I'm worried about, okay? that man actually has a huge number of health problems that are going to kill him, that you need to treat. The remote possibility of, of that 65-year-old, 300-pound man developing anorexia nervosa, it's ridiculous, right? That's like saying, oh, well, you know, Rebecca, you shouldn't wash your hands. You might develop obsessive-compulsive disorder. It's like, hmm. no, you're just washing <laughs> your hands, right, after you go to the yeah. bathroom. Uh, don't be ridiculous, right? But people are so ridiculous about fasting. There's so many myths that are like so untrue. But even the other day, I read this article about fasting and say, oh, yeah, it's such a bad idea. You're going to get anorexia. Okay. But it's like, okay, so what? You're going to let a, this 300-pound man die of his diabetes because you're worried he's going to become anorexia <laughs> nervosa? Don't be so stuck and rigid in your thinking that you can't use this. And I'm not saying that everybody has to fast, right? It's a, it's a therapeutic tool. If you don't feel well, you should stop. If you start fasting and have real problems, then don't do it, right? It's not for everybody. Nothing is for everybody. But so, if you do it and you do well, then go ahead. 
I'm, I'm just going to interrupt you. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk more about, about this. We're talking today with Dr. Jason Fung um, about his book, The Complete Guide to Fasting. So we'll be back shortly. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1 866 472 5792. Again, that's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, welcome back to Falling Through the Cracks. Today we're talking with Dr. Jason Fung. He's the author of The Complete Guide to Fasting. Uh, we're talking about how this can help with weight loss and type 2 diabetes. So, Dr. Fung, in, in preparation for the show, I actually got inspired and I did a 20-hour fast. And um, I'd done a fast once before a few years ago. It actually didn't go well. And after reading your book, I can understand why. I don't think it was done properly. 
But, uh, you know, I found some, some things interesting. I thought I'd be really hungry. And um, when lunchtime came around, I, you know, I drank some water. And um, what I found more, I mean, I definitely was feeling hungry at the time I would normally eat. And then I found some anxiety came up with that. Um, just, you know, I'm going to get tired. I'm not going to be able to finish what I'm doing. I'm going to be cranky. And I kind of, you know, I practiced the mindfulness we're all talking about these days and, and I let it go. And within an hour, I was actually okay. And uh, I didn't feel hungry again until dinner came along. Um, so I, I know that's a big fear for people of, oh, they're going to feel overwhelmingly hungry and they're going to get tired. And can you just talk about, like, because that, that, I mean, I felt hungry, but it passed and I, I didn't get exhausted. As I was actually out running errands for about five hours and I felt normal like I normally would. So can you just tell us um, why that's a little bit different than what we would think? Yeah, and those are, again, some of the things we try and clear up in the book. So in terms of hunger, for sure, people do get hungry, right? That's not um, something that we can deny, right? But what they have to understand is that the hunger kind of comes as a wave. So it kind of rises, 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 and then if you let it pass, it'll just go away. And what you have to, what we tell people to think about, kind of to visualize, is that imagine that you've just instructed your body to eat lunch of your body fat. Therefore, now your, hung, your hunger goes away. And that's really what we, we, we tell them to think about. Dinner is the same. The hunger is going to go up, but then have your glass of uh, coffee or a cup of uh, green tea or something, and then it will pass. And it doesn't continuously build, right? The hunger doesn't go up, 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 up. What happens is that when lunchtime passes, that wave fades, and then it's like, and I get this all the time now, um, at 3 o'clock I'll think, I wonder if I ate lunch today because I really honestly don't remember because I'm kind of so used to it that when I don't eat, the hunger passes and I just get on with what I'm doing. And it's like everything else. The first two weeks of doing it are going to be difficult. Right? It's like exercise. You don't go out and run a marathon the first time you go running and then say, oh, that was great. Right? You're probably going to never do it again if you try to do that. And fasting is the same. It's something that you have to kind of uh, get your body used to. And once you get used to it, it gets a lot easier because your body understands what it's supposed to do. You understand what's going to happen. The thing about the um, uh, tiredness is that we tell people to do everything that they normally do. Because again, what ha- is happening is that you're simply using the food that you've stored away. That's what body fat is. It's food energy that you've stored away from yesterday, the day before, the week before, whatever it is. Now you're simply pulling it out of storage and using it, right? It's like a refrigerator. You put that ham into the refrigerator, a couple of days later, you pull it out and eat it. Well, we've put this food energy into our body, our body turns it into body fat. Now we're pulling it out and using it. Nothing wrong with that. In fact, that's the way our bodies are designed to work. And that's the thing. So you shouldn't feel tired. Now, there is a period of adaptation. So there's about a two-week period, two- to three-week period, where people will notice um, that they are not as energetic. And that's because your body hasn't kind of made the adaptation to using that body fat. So we always tell people, give yourself at least, you know, two weeks to a month of doing it before you make a judgment. And that's what happens to people, right? They do one, 
and it goes really poorly. And then they say, wow, this is just terrible. This has got to be the worst thing ever. And it's like running. You go out, first time you run, you do a marathon, your muscles are all sore, you're almost dead. And you go, wow, running's like the worst ever, right? Well, no, nobody's really that foolish, right? But for some reason, we do that, we think that with fasting. So you have to kind of take it slow. You have to understand what you're doing. You have to know what to expect. And then you can get through all these problems. And that's what our book is really about. Because when uh, we went out, uh, I talk about this a lot. And um, my co-author, Jimmy Moore, said, well, where can I, where can I uh, read all about this? I'm like, nowhere. Nobody has anything about this. And then he's like, okay, then we should write a book about it. Because we want people to uh, be able to read it and say, oh, look, they told me this is what's going to happen. And with the hunger, it's very interesting because one of the things that we see people coming back at all the time is they say, you know, I think I, I thought I'd be really overwhelmed with hunger, but the more I do it, um, the more I think my stomach is just shrinking. And, and I say, what do you mean? And he said, well, I, now I eat like a third of what I used to eat and feel completely full. I'm like, that's great. If you're eating a lot less and feeling full, now you're working with your body to lose weight instead of against your body. Because every other diet which tries to restrict calories, everybody gets more hungry. They try to will themselves not to eat, but that only lasts so far. Now you don't have to will yourself not to eat. You're actually just full. So your body is telling you not to eat. Why? Because you've been able to tap into those fat stores to supply the necessary calories that your body needs. So the hunger is very, very interesting because it's often exactly the opposite. But there is a period of adaptation. So again, it's a huge advantage for keeping weight off. If you are able to eat much less than you used to eat and, and, and be full, that's a huge advantage. So, uh, well, especially if if you're overweight and and you've been overeating, I, you know, um, or for for most of us who just want to lose a little bit of weight, I can see definitely the advantage to that. Um, and you know, I would guess that as the insulin starts to respond to this as well, that the weight loss would come off at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And 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 the type two diabetes, as the weight comes down, the type two diabetes often follows right along, and you can often reverse, you can take people off their medications, you can reverse their type 2 diabetes, reverse their prediabetes into kind of a normal range. And this is something that has a lot of flexibility because if you decide that, hey, for the next week you're going on vacation, you don't want to fast, you don't have to. But you can do more the next week to make up for it, right? So there's flexibility in terms of what to do, you know, when to do it. You can choose when you want to do it and when you don't want to do it. It's totally up to you. You can do longer. You can do shorter. You can do more of them. You can do less of them. Totally up to you. Um, so one one concern I, I'm sure a lot of people have is, you know, that they are going to feel tired during this and they won't be able to have the regular exercise routine or, or work. Um, and, and what are your um, thoughts on that? How does that actually work? Um, I think that, again, we tell people to do um, exactly what they normally do and don't change anything. The there other than that kind of two week period of adaptation where you're getting kind of getting your body used to it, 
most people find that they actually have much more energy than they used to have. In fact, some people have so much they can't even sleep. They're like saying, oh, I'm sleeping like three hours a night and I'm feeling fine. So I'm like, yeah, that's all you need then. Um, because their body is kind of liberating this food energy so much that they have too much energy. So if they want, if you normally exercise, then go ahead. If you normally work, in fact, doing it during working time is actually the easiest thing because you're so busy doing other stuff that you don't even notice that hunger. Because we all get that hunger at our accustomed eating time, so lunch, dinner, breakfast for those who eat breakfast. Um, so it will come kind of in anticipation. But if you're really busy, and who hasn't done this, you just work right through it, and then it's like nothing at all, right? So I actually tell people, some people say, oh, I'll do it when I'm not at work. I'm like, that's the worst time, because if you're just sitting around, you know, at home, and your fridge is right there, and your pantry's right there, and you're doing nothing else, there you're going to think about, hey, maybe I should get something to eat. Or you're watching TV, and there's all these food ads coming on, right? Or you're watching Food Network. Well, you're going to think about it. Doing it at work is actually much, much simpler uh, than anything else. So um, when somebody's doing a fast, is there any complications that occur that should have them stop their fast? Well, there are lots of problems that do come up. Headache is very common. That often goes away. But the um, thing that you have to understand is that if you're not feeling well, then you have to stop because I can't help what happens to people. Some people will get different problems. And some of them will go away by themselves. Most of them will. And some of them won't. Everybody thinks that the, you know fasting for 24 hours is so unusual. But we tell patients to do it all the time. When we tell people they're going for a colonoscopy, they have to fast. When we tell people they're going for surgery, they have to fast. When they come in and they're sick with pneumonia, they are fasting because we don't give them anything to eat because they're so sick. When you get sick with the flu and you can't eat anything, your body is naturally making you fast. You just drink some chicken soup or something, right? So this sort of stuff happens all the time. It's not an unnatural thing. So people have to realize that You know, lots of things can happen, but you have to use a bit of common sense, know what to understand. But again, if you're feeling like really, really tired during a fast and it happens time and again and it's not getting better, then you should probably stop and see what else you can do to change it. Get some help, talk to some people because it's not normal, right? If you're feeling pain, if you're feeling unusual lethargy, yeah, then don't do it especially with a longer fast, because some people will go with longer fasts, and they're more powerful, but there's more risk with them. So, again, if you're trying to do longer ones and you're not feeling well, then stop. Reassess. There's nothing wrong with doing a shorter one and then taking a break and then doing it again, right? And it's not, again, some people worry about doing too much of it, but, again, I've treated many people, and we have... Almost like 99% of the time, our problem is getting people to do enough fasting, right? So we don't worry so much about people doing too much, but it is a worry. If your weight is too low, then you shouldn't be fasting. If your body mass index, we cut it off at 20, 18.5 is considered underweight. But if it's under 20, then no, I don't recommend fasting at all. So there are certain people who shouldn't fast, pregnant women, children, that sort of thing, breastfeeding women. If you're on medications, you need to get some some supervision. But again, 
outside of that, if you are, you know, very overweight and you're feeling well, then go ahead and go ahead and do it. Um, so I, I've I've loved the the topic of the show, and I actually enjoyed doing um, my fast, which you know the one I did years ago I didn't. So um, you know the starting with the shorter duration and then easing up to longer makes more sense. Um, is there any way if anybody has um, it, you know, they want more information or to get a hold of you? Is there any way they can do that? Oh, yeah. So for more information, as, uh, as you said, you can get my book, The Complete Guide to Fasting. It really has a lot of the kind of physiology and tips that um, we, we give to patients. My website is www.intensivedietarymanagement.com. So there's, again, a lot of information. We write a uh, weekly blog post about nutrition. And uh, some of it is fasting, some of it is type 2 diabetes, some of it is weight loss. And then uh, the other place is uh, www.dietdoctor.com. It's a really good website for low-carb uh, diets and as well as intermittent fasting. Really probably the best uh, website for information out there. It's simple. It's easy to use. Um, and it's, there's a, almost all of it is free. There is a subscription section to that. But um, it's very affordable. It's only $9 a month, and you get the first month free, for example. So you should, you should check that out as well. Okay, um, I will. So I, I want to thank you so much for joining me. This was a, a really informative show today. Thank you very much. Yeah, so we're, um, we're going to end today. I want to thank everybody for listening, and be sure to make today a great day. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Please join Dr. Rebecca Risk again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk more next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.